In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Salika Reed Banta's first novel made the long list for one of the most prestigious book prizes in Canada, but she almost didn't publish that book because she was told it was too Jamaican or too Canadian. Well, she published it, we're glad she did, because now she's back with her new book, which is only more Jamaican, more Canadian, and filled with specifics. She'll be here to tell you what she's learned along the way. That's coming up. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Well, someone from the UK contacted me and they were like, this would be great if you just like took out all the Jamaican stuff. And I was just like, that's like my book. No, I can't do that. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. That's the voice of the author Zalika Reed Benta. And the book she's talking about there is her first book. It's called Frying Plantain, which was nominated for a bunch of awards, including the Giller. It won two awards and it made Zalika this like writer to watch in Canada. But yeah, as you heard there, it wasn't an easy road. She almost didn't get that book published at all. But she did, and now she has a new one. It's called River Mama. This is normally the part where I give you like the synopsis and I say very CBC things like River Mama tells the story of. But Zalika does such a great job of explaining the plot. I'm just going to let her do it. Uh, but after that, you'll hear why she became obsessed with Jamaican folklore, how being really specific in your writing is a way to freeze cities in time. And yeah, more on why she almost didn't publish her first book at all. I'm glad she did. Here's my conversation with Zalika Reed Benta. So first off, I loved reading the book. Uh, there's so much happens in the book that <laughs> normally off the top of the interview is where I go, the book follows A, and I do a little bit of a synopsis, but not today, because there's a lot. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about the story of the book? Sure. So um, it follows a main character who's 26 years old. She's recently graduated from um, her master's, and she's in Toronto, and she's at a party with a coworker. They're not really friends, but they're sort of friends. And uh, she doesn't really want to be there. And she meets this um, uh, this other woman named Oni who gives her a reading that says, you know, things are about to change. And that very night, she walks home. And in Crookshank Park at the Humber River, she meets River Mama, which is uh, she's a Jamaican deity who protects all of the rivers in Jamaica. And River Mama tells her, you know, I have a comb, which is a very big part of uh Jamaican mythology for River Mama, and it's been stolen, and you have a day to, you know, to to uh, to get it for me. And Alicia doesn't really want this uh, sort of, you know, journey, but because she's in the midst of trying to 
you know, because she's been chosen to find this comb, uh, these spirits called duppies, which are not always malevolent spirits, but in this case they are, uh, they, they follow her and they make life miserable for her. So she has to find this comb and she actually ends up, you know, going on this quest with uh, her co-worker Heaven and her other co-worker Mars. And, you know, through this journey, she learns more about her history, more about family ties, more about ancestors, more about Jamaica and more about herself. You just killed it. I hope so. Spectacular job, by the way. <laughs> like, obviously not your first time doing it either, though. <laughs> no, it's true. It's not like I, yeah. It, it, <laughs> you didn't have to think about it that much. <laughs> not, not too much. What What got you interested in writing more or researching? What, what got you interested in exploring more about uh, Jamaican folklore here? Well, I um, I always wanted to write a book about Jamaican folklore. At first, I was actually writing a YA fantasy, like this high fantasy um, world building. I was doing all of that. And it was going to be a, something where my character has a quest and duppies are, are uh, following her and, and she has to like navigate that. Um, so I always wanted to do it because I grew up reading a lot about Greek and Roman mythology and thinking Jamaica has amazing folklore and Jamaica has amazing mythology. I, I really want to do that. I really want to put that on, on paper myself. And um, halfway, not even halfway through, I was like 300 pages into my YA fantasy and it wasn't even half done uh, because <laughs> I'd never written a novel before and I was kind of word vomiting. And uh, like mid-sentence, I stopped and I wrote River Mama. Like I wrote the first two chapters and I was like, oh, yeah, this this feels more like what I want to do. Um, so it's always been something that I've wanted to do. I just didn't think that it was going to be a contemporary uh, novel when I was going to write about Jamaican folklore. Um, I, I did it. I did a degree in folklore uh, in in school uh, in Newfoundland folklore, and I remember like you know being raised with a certain amount, knowing about the fairies and, and you know knowing about the, the the various sort of supernatural occurrences, the old hag, these things in Newfoundland folklore. Um, but then as I got older, I, I did more research and it became so much more um, – uh, very very enriching to me. In your experience, like how much of this folklore were you raised with and how much research did you have to do and what did you find? Um, I was raised with a lot of it. Mostly like there was a lot of Anansi the Spider stories and Anansi doesn't really – doesn't appear in my book but he like uh, he's mentioned. And, you know, I, I, I did grow up with hearing different things about River Mama. She also has a golden uh, table that she um, guards and – if you see the golden table, your heart is like filled with greed and you try to steal the table, but she drowns you. <laughs> so that's the story. That it's, not, I, it's not very nice. No, <laughs> that's the story that I kind of grew up with. And um, yeah, so like they're just things that the elders kind of said um, here and there, especially if like us kids were waiting for something. Uh, then I did what actually... What really got me started is um, I met another Jamaican author when I was at um, a writer's conference. And we were talking about the Rolling Calf specifically because it's one of the more prominent uh, duppies or, or uh, spiritual figures in in folklore. And the way that I was told about the Rolling Calf is like this big bull and there was a chain around its neck and it breathed fire. Um, and the way that she was taught or the way that she uh, heard about the rolling calf was that it was a calf with no legs and uh, chains around its body and it would roll. And I was like, I've never heard that. So I was just thinking of how there's so many different versions of these uh, folklores. And so when I started researching it, like, you know, reading books and going on blogs and just seeing what other people had to say about it, um, 
I just got all these different versions yeah. of different things. And I was like, oh, there's so much here. This is great. And um, then I also learned about other other Duffies, too, that I hadn't heard before. And, um, yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely, like you said, an enriching experience because there's just so many different ways that it can go. Um, I mean, you're right. Once you start going down that rabbit hole, it's hard to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. and it's beautiful. As an aside, do you know what they call a calf with no legs? Ground beef. Uh, uh, in addition to the, I'm so sorry. They're gonna, gonna, I'm gonna lose my job. Um, uh, I really am. This is my last show. A lot of people don't know that. So, in addition to there being um, a a lot about Jamaican folklore here, um, there are also so many mentions of Toronto here. I mean, in in the book, your your characters complain about how unreliable the TTC (laughs) is for people who don't know. That's the Toronto Transit System. At one point, uh, a main character says each subway line has at least one problem station. And for the west end of the Bloor Spadina line, that was Christie. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's very true. There's, um, there's the Uni- University of Toronto. There's uh, the Fairmont Royal York Hotel. There's an ending scene, which I'm dying to talk to you about, but obviously we can't do that. But also smaller things. There's a, a Tim Hortons on Weston Road and a Money Mart sign on Keel Street near Bloor. These locations exist. I mean, we, we, we looked them up and we saw them. Why was it important to you to go to such detail when describing the city? Um, honestly, when I write, I try my best to write cinematically. If I can't um, see it when I'm writing, then I'm, I know I'm not in the right place. And I was actually treating River Mama like a movie. So I was actually just kind of like, I want... I mean, obviously, a lot of people hopefully won't, uh, aren't from Toronto who are going to read it, so they won't necessarily know. Um, but I still want them to feel like they're on the streets, they're with these characters. And so I was just treating it like a movie, like this is the location this would happen at. And um, so that was part of it. And I was, okay, so I was also watching um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. And I was movie from the mid 2000s and it's set in Toronto and shot in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And like, I think it starts off with like once upon a time in Toronto. Not so long ago in the mysterious land of Toronto, Canada, Scott Pilgrim was dating a high schooler. And um, yeah, there were these like landmarks, a lot of which aren't here anymore. Like Anaseds isn't here anymore. And the pizza pizza that was by Anaseds is there, but it doesn't have the same like huge sign. And there was like an energy to that. And I think also just um, going to school, doing my MFA in New York of all places where there are so many books about New York and how they write about New York. I was just like, I feel like I can do that. Is it about preserving a city that's changing all the time? I think that's part of it. I mean, that's definitely what happened with Frying Planton, where I didn't even want to name the different places that I name in Frying Planton. But then every time I came back to Toronto, things were gone. And so I was like, I, I want to preserve that. So that was an intentional choice. I think that kind of just happened subconsciously here. And I also wanted to talk about North York and, uh, you know, Western Road and, and those areas because I, I want to see more of those areas in Toronto fiction and in Canlet. So I think that was also a part of it. I mean, so so there's the Jamaican folklore element of it. There's the Toronto element of it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy you said that, like, hey, there's a common depiction of Toronto and oftentimes uh, Western Road and North York is not involved in that at all. Because I wanted to talk about the millennialness of this book right. as well. I mean, so Alicia is, I think, 26 yes. in, in River Mama, uh, MFA grad, expected to land a job in publishing, 
She's living with her mom, working in a real t- retail store, going through a quarter-life crisis. And when I was doing research for this, I read that part of what inspired you to write the character this way was that you took some kind of online quiz or like what? No, or you saw something online, like an article, like every millennial should be like this. And you were like, wait, wait a minute, I'm a millennial. That's that's not me. Am I right about that? Yes, there are a lot of different articles at the time. Like this was even years before I wrote the book um, when I was actually in my 20s. And it would be like, yeah, all millennials. I don't know. I mean, there was obviously like the whole facetiousness around avocado toast, but there was like things that millennials were writing that being like, all millennials do this. And I was like, I don't do that. And the people that I know don't do that either. And why is this the only narrative I'm seeing of millennials? Um, So I just, that kind of stuck with me. And um, a lot of things are also happening in Toronto at the time in terms of um, culture. There was an article that attributed Toronto slang to popular figures. And a lot of people on uh, social media were like, actually, that is not true. It is Jamaican or it is East African. It is, you know, black slang. I, rem- I forgot about that video. Right, yeah. I remember that <laughs> yeah, video. So, yeah, yeah. And, they were saying that these, these I mean, let's not name them. You're right. <laughs> but these like prominent uh, celebrities were teaching you how to speak yeah. like Toronto, but actually they were speaking in Patois. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was happening. And I was also seeing a lot of tweets of Jamaicans coming to Toronto and people, they'd be like, yeah, people would be like, why are you speaking like a Toronto man's? And I'm like, Toronto man's, I'm not speaking like a Toronto man's. Toronto man's are speaking like me. Um, so there was a lot of those conversations happening. The same time I was reading millennial articles that I didn't relate to. And I think I just like sat on it <laughs> for like a couple of years and then decided to marry them all together to write this book um, and also marry it with my, like, you know, very long desire to write about Jamaican folklore. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of just what happened. And I, I wanted to talk about specifically, um, you know, like black Jamaican or black Caribbean um, millennial experience, which not everybody is going to relate to, but just like simple things of like code switching and the conversations about, um, you know, food or the con- or like the way that you can go from Patwa to like uh, quote unquote standard English and and things like that, where I just wasn't seeing it in uh, fiction that dealt with millennials or articles that dealt with millennials. So I was like, yeah, I just want to do that. So I did. Uh, let me reintroduce you here. My guest is the Canadian author Zalika Reed Benta, whose new novel is called River Mama. Her first book was Frying Plantain, which is a, a collection of interconnected short stories about a second-generation Canadian girl growing up in, in Toronto as she navigates her relationship with her, her mom and her grandmother. Um, can we talk a little bit about that book? So I mentioned that it got long-listed for a Scotiabank Giller Prize, for the Scotiabank Giller Prize. But I know it was a, it was a crooked road to get there. You almost didn't finish writing it because of feedback you got. Yes. uh, Well, I finished school and I sent it out everywhere and nobody (laughs) wanted to publish it um, because I first I tried to like publish it or get an agent in in the States and they were like, this is like way too Canadian. Way too Canadian. And I was just kind of like, okay. Um, And I even went to the UK 
Well, someone from the UK contacted me and they were like, this would be great if you just like took out all the Jamaican stuff. And I was just like, that's like my book. No, I can't do that. Um, and I was like just feeling really down about it because when I was here, I hadn't submitted anything yet. But I, the, what I kept hearing from people was that nobody publishes short stories. So they were just like, you know, if you want to publish a short story, write a novel first. And if it does well, they'll give you the short story as like, you know, thanks for doing this for us. So I was like, oh, OK. Uh, so I was very dejected. And um, I wanted to write that YA uh, high fantasy that I was talking about. And then a uh, mentor of mine, Evie Caslick, she I, I wanted to just, you know, I showed her my YA. Uh, because I missed having workshop and I, I wasn't really ready to write on my own yet. And she was like, what's going on with your short story collection? And I said, oh, I put it on the shelf. And she she just said that she wanted to see it in bookstores one day. And I don't know, something about that. It really rallied me and I submitted and, you know, the rest is, I guess, as they say, history. Did you feel any, um, did you feel any I told you so when you got long listed for the Giller? Um... A little. I'm not going to say that I didn't. Um, yeah, just like a little bit. I'm like, yeah, you know, short stories can do well. If you just give them a chance, it's fine. Um, so, so yeah, that was, it was, it was a really great moment. So you were kind of being told that you were too Canadian and, and too Jamaican or you were too Canadian and too short story in? Yeah. So uh, abroad, it was like, you're too Canadian and uh, too Jamaican, which was also really funny because when I was like in workshop writing these stories, I, the feedback I also got was this isn't Canadian enough. And I'm like, what do you, what? Yes, it is, because I'm Canadian. So it was like a bunch of mixture of you're not Canadian enough, or it's too Canadian, or it's too Jamaican. And then when I was here, it was just nobody cares about short stories. So Yeah, I was wondering whether you got that feedback about the, the patois. Like, I wondered if you got Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, that was more so when I was writing it in... Um, like, that was less when I was submitting it to publishers, and it was more like when I was actually writing the stories. And, you know, people wanted a lexicon or people wanted me to just keep the cadence but not do um, the, the the writing of the patwa. And I, I kind of stuck to my guns on that one, but I did end up... Um, there were certain words that I had to massage or I felt like I had to massage because I kept getting people being like, I have no idea what this means. I didn't do that with River Mama. I, I did not massage it at all. Um, but but that's that's kind of what ended up happening. But um, there there probably were a few publishers who would be like, we would absolutely publish this if you just, you know, did a little bit more massaging of the patwa. But because I had already gone through like, you know, um, workshops in undergrad and workshops in grad school where I was getting the same thing and I didn't listen to them. I was like, that must mean that I really like that. It's integral to the story to keep it that way. So I, I kind of just didn't listen to that. Well, yeah, it sounds like it was meaningful not to have to massage it this time around. At yeah. All. yeah. I was just kind of like, you know, I, I did that the first time and I'm, I don't have any regrets about it, but uh, I don't think I need to do that this time. I think people can, either get it from context. If they have to read it out loud, they can. But I was just kind of like, you know, um, you can do it. So just just do it. Well, it's um, it's such a great joy to have you here. We've been looking forward to having you in, and I really enjoyed reading the book. Uh, it also led to somewhat of a, a debate in our oh, office. Okay. You might be able to guess what it was about. <laughs> yes. um, about uh, There's a great scene in the book where two characters debate about the best Jamaican patty yes. subway station in Toronto. Yes. Which, which is it? 
Oh no, I am not saying anything. Really? <laughs> no. No, I, I plead the fifth. I mean, we don't do that here, but I'm going to say that anyway. Um, okay, fine. Uh, I will have to say Islington. Islington. Yeah. We thought it was going to be Islington or Bathurst. Yeah, I was debating Bathurst, but I was like, nah, it's Islington. Bathurst is my station, so I get really, you know, <laughs> I was kind of hoping you'd say it, you know, but Bath- I understand it. Yeah, like for like childhood me would be like, you know, Bathurst because, you know, I went to school around there and, and I would get the patties a lot. But Bathurst is a very close second. Islington, can you, do you want to back it up? Do you want to, do you want to give your why? Um, I just... I think they have, I really like crusts and mm-hmm. I think they have like the best crusts and it's like a really nice flakiness to it. And um, yeah, like I just, it's been, it's been a while since I have it, but when I think of uh, patties, that's what, that's what I think of. I'm so happy that you, feel, I, I'm so happy you answered it. Cause when you were like, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> I was wondering whether you were going to answer it at all, <laughs> but I'm glad that you did. I'd love to meet you. Thanks so much for coming in and congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. This is great. Salika Reed Benta is the author of the award-winning book, Frying Plantain. Her second book, River Mama, is out now. That is it for this episode of Q. The other episode we put up today is my conversation with the Canadian director, Emma Seligman, who is, I just texted her and found this out, she's 28 years old. She's been compared to Steven Spielberg and Orson Welles. Her new movie is called Bottoms. Uh, we talked a little bit about why she wanted to follow up her critically acclaimed film Shiva Baby with a queer high school fight club. Emma Seligman is here to talk about uh, that and also like the trust. I love this part. She talks about the trust that actors need to have to punch each other in the face. All right. See you soon. Later. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.